With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. From economics to the woke agenda, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed on TNT. I'm your host, Mark Morano. Breaking news. The president of the United States has dissed all global warming skeptics and anyone who dissents from the Al Gore United Nations narrative. And he did it in a way that was quite colorful, calling us Neanderthals. Roll clip one. The idea there's no such thing as climate change. I love that, man. I love some of my Neanderthal friends uh, who still think there's no climate change. Neanderthal friends. Well, this is as old as the hills. You don't agree with me? You're dumb. You're stupid. You're unsophisticated. You're not well-read. You're not an expert. We defer to the experts. We defer to people like NASA scientist James Hansen. He was arrested half a dozen times protesting global warming. Oh, he also endorsed a book calling for ridding the world of industrial civilization and blowing up dams. We defer to experts uh, who aren't Neanderthal, like the former head of the UN climate IPCC climate panel, Regenda Pachari, who literally said global warming was my religion. And that was an exact quote. Uh, we defer instead to the experts like in COVID, like Anthony Fauci and the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institute and the World Health Organization. These are the credentialed experts. You don't agree with them? You're a Neanderthal. You're backwards. You're stupid. You're primitive. You're a know-nothing. You can't even join polite society. Even the impolite won't let you join their society. Is there such a thing as impolite society? I don't know. This is just an old meme of the governing ruling class elite. They have an agenda. They want to impose it. Anyone who disagrees is dumb, stupid, bought off, uh, and a primitive idiot. And that's what they're, and I, no disrespect to Neanderthals. I mean, they were people too, right? I guess a former, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Anyway, Joe Biden doing that is, is in, a, in a long line. And when they do this kind of stuff, now he did it in jest, he did it light. But who doesn't do it light and in jest are people like CBS newsman Scott Pelley, the former anchor, who said, I won't interview a climate denier for the same reason I won't interview a Holocaust denier. You get that? Climate skepticism and Holocaust denial, same page. And then you have uh, the head of the UN, Vajenda Pachari, the aforementioned, who said that the, the number of scientists who believe, who don't believe in climate change is about the same number who don't believe the moon landing uh, occurred. You know, again, just trying to lay it to conspiracies, not getting into the moon landing thing right now. But the point is, they do anything they can to discredit you. Uh, and this is just the old game. Uh, and this is why during COVID, for instance, you saw people, I believe in the science. I follow the science. Do you follow the science? Are you an expert? But my third grader has been masked for eight hours a day. Are you an epidemiologist? We're deferring to experts. What the hell do you know? But my my son wants to have his, uh, his penis cut off at school. He wants to become a woman. Who are you? We have transgender experts, health experts funded by the government who know a lot more about reversing, uh, changing gender than you do. Have you studied it? This is how they do it. And again, you're a Neanderthal if you don't go along 
with the ruling class governing elite agenda slash great reset slash net zero slash COVID lockdown slash new world order slash UN agenda 2030 slash et cetera, et cetera. Okay. It's because of this kind of rhetoric that people realize they can't reason logically and calmly with these people. I shouldn't say calmly. I'm not inciting violence. But anyway, this is Neil Oliver from UK TV explaining this rebellion brewing globally, climate at the heart. And he's referring to the farmers in Europe. He's referring to just people like the old movie network in the 1970s. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Let's roll clip four. Neil Oliver, UK TV, explaining this feeling. And I agree with him. I'm feeling the same pitter patter, if you will, the growing energy of resistance out there. It's palpable that the anger of citizens is rising. It's been on a sort of slow simmer for years. It seems to be coming to the boil. The heat has been turned up, or the heat that's already there is somehow building in intensity. Uh, it's You can't point to any single place on the map, really, and say, here's the seat of it. The, the, the building anger and frustration and heat and pain is everywhere in the West, certainly. And it's, and it's for all sorts of reasons. You know, there are many symptoms all uh, coming from the same disease. By now, we've, we've all endured, what is it, three, four years of the most dangerous and blatant assault on freedom and civil rights in the history of humankind. Sorry, I know it may be obnoxious, but I have to applaud that. He's exactly right. The last four or five years have been the greatest assault on everyone. Now, when I'm, when people hear that, they'll be like, oh, what about slavery? What about the Holocaust? What about civil rights? This is population-wide, not targeting a minority group. This is in terms of general population assault on freedoms and liberties. In fact, in my book, The Great Reset, um, The Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, I have progressive activists explaining how many conservative middle America people who never really considered the plight of racism, of black, Jim Crow, of slavery, of anti-Semitism, got a taste of what it felt like for government tyranny and lack of freedom and inability to express yourself during COVID lockdowns. And it's an incredible thing because this is an experiment even for the elites to do something this rapid, this global, certainly in our generation. I mean, obviously there's been coups and other uh, forms of tyranny in the past. And as I detail in the book, it's emergency power reform that's needed. Emergency power is the greatest assault on individual rights, liberty, freedom, and um, uh, the free speech has been during times of government declared emergencies. That's when human rights gets violated the most because the government just consolidates that power and usually makes the the alleged crisis. It's not usually a crisis worse and or not so much. Even if they don't make the crisis worse, they make life for everyone permanently worse. Think of the terrorism in the United States, 9-11. Think of COVID. All of these public health things. I was looking 
yesterday at the CDC website. If you get COVID today, they still recommend you isolate at home and wear a mask for like 20 days, a mask. And if you can't go somewhere wearing a mask, stay at home. Uh, and then this is symptomless people, by the way, we're not talking, and they want you to do regular testing. I mean, they're living in an alternative universe, okay? Absolutely insane, but this is the rebellion. And this is, Neil Oliver is also referring to the farmers in, in Europe and they are our greatest rebellion. I say, let's hitch our ride to the nearest tractor. And that's got to come to the United States. I hope to be part of it. There's been some discussions about getting tractors to Washington, DC from middle America. And let's hope uh, that we come to that. As John Kerry has said, uh, the agricultural sector can no longer avoid net zero. They're going to be front and center in our efforts to curb and fight climate change, which means they're coming for U.S. agriculture like they came for Europe, like they came for Sri Lanka, like they came for Netherlands, like they're doing in Canada, like they're doing in Australia. So um, this is an interesting uh, clip. This is in Europe. Uh, and let me just see if this is uh, it's a member of parliament calling out. This is oh, it's in England. And it's a Brit UK member of parliament going after Richie Rich, who has a great retort to her. But she's basically saying, uh, you know, she's in a, she's in fascist territory here, saying, how can you listen to these people? How can you respect anyone who basically dissents? Again, these are the Neanderthals she's referring to. Uh, so let's hear this clip. This is uh, clip five. Yeah, this last weekend, the prime the prime minister posed for photographs with a group that shares extremist conspiracy theories on climate change and campaigns against net zero. Does the Prime Minister share their views? I, that's, that's no way to talk about the Welsh farming community, Mr. Speaker. That was a great retort by Richie Rich to the UK Member of Parliament. But the idea is you're a conspiracy theorist, you're a Neanderthal, if you disagree that the Earth faces a climate emergency and we need to have uh, medical journals urging the World Health Organization to roll climate into public health response, that we need restrictions on travel, that we need to collapse modern agriculture, that we need limits to our freedom of movement in 15-minute cities and bans on meat and bans on gas-powered cars and bans on making grilled cheese sandwiches. And yeah, that's a thing. I'll, I'll talk about that. Uh, and of course, continued collapse of energy. This is the world we live in. And I, you know, this is why you just got to stand up and tell them to go to, you know, where. Okay, this next one, this is fascinating. Vanessa Carey, she's the daughter of former UK, US climate envoy, John Kerry, replaced by John Podesta. John Kerry is now kind of bizarre. He left this prominent, I guess you'd call it a plum position. You know, he had a multi-million dollar annual budget, flew around the world, just meeting with leaders, talking utter drivel every day. Well, the, your emissions and the net zero goals are by 2040, by 2050, we need to do the automotive sector. We got to do this to farm. I mean, literally a level of Dante's hell. I mean, Dante's inferno, just to even listen to John Kerry and his whole negotiating strategy. It's just all gobbledygook. Like, oh yeah, and if we're this country pledges that... Yeah, this is the same John Kerry, by the way, who the um, Associated Press said he and his Chinese counterpart are literally saving the world for future generations. I mean, this is the world we live in. Our mainstream media, funded by environmental activists and billionaire foundations that have their climate desk, bought and paid for climate reporting, praises John Kerry for saving future generations. It's just bizarre. But anyway, his daughter, Vanessa Kerry, 
gets a plum position at the World Health Organization, the Climate Health Envoy. Uh, and she is now talking like her father. And it's just as inane, just as unscientific, just as stupid, uh, just as Neanderthal. So I don't want to be accused of, you know, of trying to intimidate and silence people. But here we are. This is clip six. Uh, I'm going to do this in a couple parts because it's really good stuff. Vanessa Carey, now a WHO World Health Organization climate envoy of some sorts, a climate official. Uh, this is her at the Dubai December 2023 climate summit, which I attended, talking about the climate crisis is a health crisis and it's killing us. So if you are not afraid by climate, if you don't care about polar bears or Florida underwater, maybe you'll care about saving grandma. Clip six. The climate crisis is a health crisis and it's killing us. The events of this year, which is set to be the hottest on record, have brought this painful truth into sharp focus. Wildfires in the US, Canada, and Europe, record-breaking temperatures around the world. Each climate-driven event has left devastation, death, and a long tail of health complications in its wake. And so the time for challenging our leaders the time for challenging the status quo, the time for bold and decisive action by every single one of us in this room is now. Already, up to 3.3 billion people in our world are highly vulnerable to the effects of climate change. The World Health Organization estimates that one in four of the world's deaths are from preventable environmental causes, and climate change is further exacerbating these risks. There are 7 billion people in the world. Do you know that 7 billion people are vulnerable to death at some point? We're all going to die. And according to studies, according to World Health Organization, climate change is going to happen and it could be linked to people's death. Imagine you go to the finest schools, you have the most amount of money, the, the greatest education, and you think this is a convincing art. This is called echo chamber echo chamber bullshit is what this is. She's only speaking to other sort of Ivy League, pseudo intellectuals, academia, the corporate media, her pals, government bureaucrats, the people on the agenda. No one in America, no one in is going to listen to this and be like, oh, I didn't think of that. Ooh, so the World Health Organization thinks climate could be could be a factor in a risk for people? Ooh, we better give up our freedoms now. Where is that 15-minute city? I want to be limited to 15 minutes. I don't want to go any further because I want to save the planet. I want to save humanity. I want to save grandma. She actually talks like this. Okay. Um, and she also, you know, First of all, she's ignoring 99% drop in climate-related deaths over the last 100 years. And you can look at the data, you can look at the charts. Fossil fuels, far from making the climate unsafe, have made us safe from an unstable climate, historically, not man-made climate. So it's just nonsense. This is clip two. Vanessa Carey at the World Health Climate Envoy at the UN Climate Summit in Dubai from 2023, just two months ago. Clip seven. In truth... We do not truly have a complete understanding of the changes we are facing. They're happening faster and more severely than we thought. And the data is telling a new and harsher story every day. Decades of inaction have led us to this moment. Rising greenhouse gas emissions are accelerating changes in our environment and harming our global biodiversity and health.
We are failing to meet the Paris Agreement goals to limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Current estimates suggest we are more likely to hit 2.4 to 2.9 degrees, unleashing untold suffering. Hey, I forgot to mention, there's good news in this. Woohoo! <laughs> the good news is we're failing to meet our Paris Agreement. I forgot that part. I mean, it's this whole idea she ends there with, we're failing to meet the targets of 2.5 utter and complete horseshit from beginning to end. The ClimateGate emails released in late 2009 into 2010 showed top UN scientists like Phil Jones openly saying, these are political targets. There's no basis in science. He actually said the two degree, 1.5, pulled from thin air. This is the top UN scientists admitting this in private. They're not saying this publicly. They're saying this privately in emails, which were later leaked out to the public, either by a whistleblower or hacking. They never did resolve that, which is fine hard to believe in this day and age. They can't sort out where it came from, which to me means it was probably some prominent leaker who they made a deal with because they didn't want people to know they wanted out. But anyway, it's complete, utter nonsense. They want you to lay at night and think, Oh my gosh, the UN has these temperature targets and these countries aren't meeting the targets and we're failing. And now it's going to be a public health crisis as well as a climate crisis. And we need to give up our rights now. We need to turn it over to these unelected bureaucrats and global elites. And, and John Kerry's daughter convinced me. What world do they live in? I can't even believe they produce videos like this. This is self-parodying. Okay, clip three. Vanessa Carey wraps up her argument. This is her, the case for the climate emergency as a public health threat. Clip eight. We must accept that there is no other way forward than to phase out our reliance on fossil fuels. Simply mitigation and reduction of greenhouse gas emissions is no longer a choice. You got that? No longer a choice. We must accept that. That's where you get the banality of uh, you know the the the, the 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 bureaucratic terror element, this pretty face comes on, tells you all this bullshit stats, and then she ends and says, "You don't have a choice." In other words, I'm not actually here to convince you. This answers my earlier question. She's not here to convince us. The banality of evil is a phrase I was trying to think of. But Vanessa Carey's not here to convince us. She's here to just check off a list of bullshit to tell you hey, you know, you don't have a choice anyway. These are all reasons, and I know they're all, you know, total cockamamie and nonsensical, and you can debunk each one, and they're absolute crap, and it's based on the United Nations and World Health Organization, and it's all just literal bollocks from beginning to end. But it doesn't really matter, because you don't have a choice. And you know why you don't have a choice? Because we have the power. I've got the power. They've got the power. They've got the public health bureaucracy. They got the United Nations. They have the World Economic Forum. They have the billionaires on board. They have the corporations on board. They have the corporate media on board. They have academia on board. Are you getting the picture that the life, the world is stacked against you and this agenda is going to be imposed upon you? She doesn't give a shit whether you believe in any of it because you don't have a choice. Let's play clip eight again. Vanessa Carey telling you. We must accept that there is no other way forward than to phase out our reliance on fossil fuels. Simply mitigation and reduction of greenhouse gas emissions is no longer a choice. So we have to phase out fossil fuels or it's no longer, and it's no longer a choice. We've got to do this. 
you don't have a choice. So forget that 100 years ago, 80% of our energy was run on fossil fuels. Forget that the same number today just doesn't matter. We don't have a choice. And that's the key. They don't want you to have a choice. Okay. Whew. All right. Um, this is good. This is Lara Logan, former 60 Minutes correspondent. Left 60 Minutes because she wasn't woke enough and was essentially red-pilled. This is her testifying about the similarities between apartheid South Africa and the limits on and the, the black population, the limits on the freedom, uh, and the similarities of today. This is clip two, Lara Logan. It's just very powerful testimony about freedom. Companies like Facebook, Instagram, and Google, as you have heard many times today, have been allowed to amass monopoly power. And as a result, they not only reach billions of people across the world every second of the day, they have absolute control over what we see and what we hear. Imagine those tools in the hands of Lenin, Stalin, Mao, Hitler. When I became a journalist more than 35 years ago, we were under emergency restrictions in apartheid South Africa. And I was 17 years old. Public safety and security were the weapons of state censors. Ours was the truth. We had no Bill of Rights, no Constitution, no First Amendment, no Declaration of Independence. And journalists would have to hide their footage from the security police, sometimes sewing the tapes into their mattresses at home so they could not be seized and used to identify and target the protesters that we'd filmed. The light of freedom that set fire to our hearts in South Africa was lit thousands of miles away. It was lit right here where we sit today in the United States of America. When the Founding Fathers put freedom of speech first, it was not by chance, it was by design. Wow, very powerful testimony uh, and a radically different message from Vanessa Carey. And she's talking about the importance of free speech, the importance of how the powerful and elite wanna crush your freedom, your spirit, your ability to dissent. Uh, bravo to Laura, Lara Logan. Okay, well, Malcolm Roberts, the senator, we're trying to get that, we're going to get him on this show hopefully soon on, on my Unleashed show. He's the one of the best senators in all the world. He's a senator in Australia. And, and he's talking about the Queensland Supreme Court has declared the COVID vaccine mandates uh, and the police and paramedics were unlawful. And this is important because we're finding out just about everything they did violated state const country constitutions, civil liberties, laws, regulations, all, all standards and norms of the past. They didn't give a flying boop. They just wanted to do it. This is Malcolm Roberts explaining this small victory in Australia, clip three. Great news, breaking news. The Queensland Supreme Court has just ruled that the vaccine mandates, the so-called injection mandates that held back the police or forced them to get injected, the police and the paramedics are not legal and have no further effect. So more news is to come. And by the way, you know why no one cares in the power structure in Australia? Because you don't have a choice and they already got away with it. They did it. And one thing we can be certain of is no one's going to be punished for this. No one's going to, I mean, so many of these rules, you know, were just outrageous. The rent controls in the United States, the mask mandate from the CDC, 
Um, we later had one federal judge to say there's no authority for them to impose a mask mandate on airplanes, trains, and buses, and they were gone mid-flight, just like that. Gone. They were announced that they're no longer legal. They were gone, and no airline would dare reimpose them. People were flinging out. I have my uh, CFAC president, Craig Rucker, uh, the, the conservative think tank I work for, literally flew off his mask, took pictures, people celebrating midair on a flight when the pilot announced it, cheering. Um, but it was illegal. We had to suffer almost two years with that horse shit. So this is where the elites don't really care about that game of, well, if we don't care if it's legal, you don't have a choice. Just remember that with Vanessa Carey. They set up a completely insane narrative that's completely without foundation, doesn't follow any real science of any kind. And then they just come up with their solution and they don't really care whether they convince you because in the end, you don't have a choice. Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm, it's, you know, I'm trying to give more hope here. And I think there's hopeful. The, the thing to do now, of course, is never again. People were hoodwinked, duped. Um, at the time, many people were, I'll say. And now we just have to make sure that everyone stays red-pilled and doesn't let this return. And again, we're fighting this on a public health COVID tyranny. We're fighting it on a financial, central bank, digital currency, censorship, uh, the transgender ideology, critical race. I mean, I, I'm not going to go on there, but you get what I'm saying. This is all, I'm going to just call it the great reset agenda. Um, when we come back, uh, we're going to have be joined by Bonner Cohen, my colleague at Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. He's a PhD. He's a CFACT, uh, Committee for Constructive Tomorrow, CFACT Senior Policy Analyst. And we are going to be talking about green energy, the net zero agenda. This is a very serious policy analysis. Talk about EVs, solar, wind. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Don't touch that dial or don't click that mouse. I guess no one has dials or mouses anymore. I guess if you do, if you have a desktop, but I haven't used a desktop in years. Anyway, Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll be right back after these messages. TNT's David Curtin. Free speech is not something that everybody has enjoyed through all of history. And it's not something that people enjoy all around the world. If you suffer under the Chinese Communist Party or severe Islamic regimes, you don't have freedom of speech. But in the West, it's generally assumed that it is a condition of living and we take it for granted. But we shouldn't do. And it hasn't come from nowhere and it has been hard fought for. David Curtin on today's News Talk, TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. TNTradio.live Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. 
Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're joined now by my colleague, Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, or CFACT, Bonner Cohen, PhD. He's a senior policy analyst for CFACT, concentrates on energy, natural resources, international relations. Welcome to the program today, Bonner. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you. All right, well, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you become one of the premier analysts and debunkers of today's climate change and energy agenda against net zero. Uh, did you just wake up one day and said, hey, I want to fight this insane agenda? Or did, was it a slow evolution? Were you one time it was a slow evolution, environmentalist? Was kind, of a, yeah. uh, kind of a winding staircase. Uh, I have a PhD in international relations from the University of Munich. And I got that toward the tail end of the Cold War. And during the Cold War, I became eminently familiar with the various uh, arguments made by the left, including the far left, uh, hiding their real agenda uh, and promoting, uh, at, at the time, uh, the victory of communism over capitalism. Well, with the end of the Cold War, communism uh, more or less went away. But the left did not. It simply uh, changed the direction in which it was going and quickly found out that the way to power is not by the proletariat rising up and overthrowing the bourgeoisie and establishing a dictatorship of the proletariat, but rather to infiltrate and transform institutions in such a way uh, that more power could put, be put into the hands of a self-anointed elite. This new green, this new elite was not the red elite of days of yore, but a green elite, one which actually owes more uh, to eugenics than actual Marxism. But there are similarities in the tactics which they use. And I started noticing that in many of the arguments put forward by the environmental movement, that truth meant nothing to these people whatsoever, uh, that the agenda was the key thing and everything was to be subordinated to the agenda. Over time, the environmental movement found out that the keys to the kingdom, the kingdom of power, and for that matter also, the, the, the keys to the kingdom of power and money lay in climate change originally known as global warming, as you will remember. In the name of combating climate change, you can impose just about every regulation you can possibly imagine, every mandate. Uh, you can indoctrinate people uh, from kindergarten right up through graduate school. You can do this through social media, and you can say everything you're doing, uh, you are doing in the name of combating what has now come to be called a climate crisis. The word crisis is important here because the, the idea is to scare us to death and to scare us into doing things that are manifestly contrary to our interests, all in the name of saving the planet. So once I saw 
the fraud being perpetrated here, I said, aha, this is something I'm really fascinated in. I also have a background in geology, which gave me a good understanding of the geological history of the Earth, uh, which, by, which by itself, by the way, goes a long way to shooting down uh, some of the notions of we're experiencing unprecedented climate change and unprecedented warming uh, because over four and a half billion years, we've gone through a lot of things on planet Earth. So that's a brief summary of how I got from there to here. Well, let me ask you, in your very younger, in your younger days, were you ever like, uh, you know, were you ever drawn in by sort of the Greenpeace environmental activism? Did you ever have a conversion where you originally thought? No, I never really had a uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus to St. Paul moment, uh, because the thing that struck me uh, when I started considering the environmental movement is, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I've seen it in a somewhat different guise. And it was the uh, institutional dishonesty of those putting forward this agenda that reminded me of what I had seen during the communist era. They're telling different lies now. They're going about this in a different manner. However, uh, their ultimate goal, which is power over us, stayed exactly the same. What is really unique about today's green elite is they are, in fact, just that. They're elite. These are people with fabulous sums of money behind them and people who have absolutely no interest whatsoever uh, in the consequences of imposing their policy on the rest of the people who live on the earth. Indeed, uh, as you and I both know, uh, those policies will actually perpetuate poverty, not just energy poverty, but that's an important aspect, obviously, but poverty uh, at all. And so this is the thing that, that really occurred to me. These people want to micromanage every aspect of our lives. And in order to do that, they need a narrative. And the narrative they have come up with, and sadly, a very effective narrative from their standpoint, has been the climate change agenda. Now, go back, uh, you know, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union. The Berlin Wall was 89, collapse of the Soviet Union, I think, was 91. You have, you do, you, you reference this in your uh, opening talk, opening statement, that there was this sort of transfer of these, of these energy. You had a lot of, you know, Soviet defenders, communist defenders. That energy did seem to go in the environmental movement. In fact, former uh, Soviet Premier Gorbachev even started his own environmental group how significant was that moment? Because it seemed as though everything, environmentalism had always been scattered. You go back to this, you had the 60s, you had Paul Ehrlich over population bomb. In the 70s, there was even fair global cooling. You had resource scarcity. In the 80s, you had acid rain and Amazon rainforest. And in the 90s, you know, you even the species extinction, but they were never all in. It really wasn't until the collapse of the Soviet Union that they sort of said, let's forget all the other environmental issues and go all in just on climate change. Almost I think Steve Malloy at Junk Science put it best. They put, it's almost like they were playing poker and they put all their chips just on climate change or they made all the other inf uh, environmental issues subservient and included in climate change. Why do you think that happened? And, and just flesh that out a little bit because this is a global force. This isn't just, you know, like, oh, this is some, some environmental groups are fundraising. This is a powerful powerful movement oh, that was literally powerful of the Soviet. And as I pointed out, extremely well financed. 
I yeah. think what happened here uh, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the collapse of the Warsaw Pact, and the collapse of the division of the world into East and West, um, the left needed a place to go. And these people are ultimately extremely interested, indeed obsessed with obtaining power. The question is, how do you get power? And what the left did is it more or less walked away uh, from traditional Marxist views of things, although they re did retain some Marxist elements of what they're doing. And instead, um, uh, once they realized, and they didn't realize this at first, it, it took several years for them to you know, walk away from what you refer to, you talk about the rainforest and acid rain and all this stuff. Well, that never really got the blood flowing. But think of the narrative. We human beings are destroying the planet. And how are we destroying the planet? We are destroying the planet through our use of fossil fuels and the way in which we conduct agriculture. And it dawned on some people, if we can get control of energy, we get control of the people who use energy. Let's not forget that many of these people didn't necessarily come to this by way of uh, any loyalty to the Soviet Union or any loyalty to Marx and Lenin and Trotsky or any of those people. But rather, a lot of these people came to this uh, more or less following Paul Ehrlich's model of there are just too many people on the planet. Uh, the link between eugenics uh, an ideology that, that rose in the 19th century. And modern day environmentalism is something people really need to understand if they want to know what's going on and why it's going on. So what you have now is a tiny sliver of elites, people who are extremely well-funded by uh, foundations, by corporate boardrooms, who also love throwing their weight around, who have also figured out how they can make money on a narrative which they themselves don't understand. Uh, they may say they believe in it, whether they do or whether they do not, but uh, is, is a matter of conjecture. But what they do know is that this is effective. Look at what they have been able to accomplish. All of it, by the way, I think extremely negative and extremely harmful. But again, they don't care about that. And well, the yeah, go ahead. Important. Go ahead. Well, well, the no, important you thing is they recognize this is the ticket to ride. This will take us where we want to go. And this is why today you have corporate boardrooms in the United States. You have the World Economic Forum in Davos. Uh, you have governments around the world, at least a good part of the world, uh, imposing mandates on how we get our, our energy, how we conduct our farming, all in the name of protecting us against a, uh, a phenomenon, a man-made global warming, which upon closer evaluation really doesn't exist. The climate changes. Well, the climate's always changed. It's changed many, many times over four and a half billion years. And guess what? It's going to change again. The human impact on that, how much we're driving it, is so minuscule, you couldn't even possibly measure it. That said, once you get enough people vested in the narrative of man-made climate change, 
uh, a dangerous warming of the climate. You can impose regulations that puts power in your hands and puts also money into the hands of the purveyors of alternative energy. And that's really what this is all about. It's not about saving the planet, and it's really not about the climate. The climate is a pretext. It's a means to an end. A, a means to an end to put an enormous amount of power into the hands of scarcely few people. Well, we have uh, there's young Republican groups, at least in name, uh, who believe that they grew up with you know propaganda from kindergarten to college, and they believe climate is a crisis, a problem, and they think Republicans should address it. They want to turn the U.S. into essentially Europe, where even the conservative party members never opposed it. But essentially, when Republicans support bills like planting trees or carbon capture or seeding the oceans or some kind of geoengineering plan uh, like bill gates is proposing blocking the sun to make the earth cooler injecting chemicals in it he's investing money and in through harvard university um did, will those have any impact on the climate and who makes money on that i always like to say the democrats donors make money on solar wind and evs and Republican donors more make money on planting trees and carbon capture. But uh, where where do you see these kind of solutions? Now, let's say there's a climate crisis for a minute. Do any of the things I just mentioned, are they a solution? Uh, no, they're not. Because first of all, there's, even if you accept the narrative of a climate crisis yeah. caused by human beings, uh, planting a few trees here, there, and yonder, engaging in carbon capture, uh, the first major attempt of which was carried out in Mississippi by Southern Company, which resulted in the loss of billions and billions of dollars for Southern Company. In other words, they didn't, make, they didn't even make any money on it. I think one of the most foolish mistakes uh, people of a conservative persuasion can make is to accept the narrative being put to them by the left and saying, aha, but there's a better way to do this. We don't need regulations. We need free market solutions. Well, it turns Carbon out tax. the market solutions they are talking about are not the least bit free, both in terms of freedom as, as people choosing, as well as, the, well, they're not free either because they cost a tremendous amount of money. <laughs> uh, you will get absolutely nowhere uh, pandering uh, to these people and saying, aha, uh, there, there is a conservative solution to this. They're even... Uh, uh, smaller, younger, younger uh, conservative groups around saying, you know, conservatives, conservation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, these these people, many of them, I, I think, have been infiltrated and, and they don't know that. Others are simply naive enough to go along with this. But what they're really doing is they're strengthening people who do not have their best interest at heart, uh, much less the interest of those of middle and lower income who are the ones who are really going to bear the brunt of these policies, be they living in the United States, much less in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, the Indian subcontinent. Wow. All right. Well, we're talking with Bonner Cohen, the senior analyst for Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, CFACT. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. Stay tuned. We'll continue our conversation with uh, Dr. Cohen right after these messages. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Mark Morano was certainly a national treasure, at least he is in my opinion. We're blessed to have him here on TNT. Anyway, he runs Climate Depot. And Climate Depot is a great place to go if you want to really take a look at some of the lunacy that's going on here. I warn you, it's probably going to get your blood pressure up. Hey, KCNN came out with a blog, How EVs Became Such a Massive Disappointment. Now, one of my favorite movies is Casablanca. And 
I love the scene at the end where the police captain comes in and claims he's shocked that gambling is going on in this particular joint that was being run by Rick, right? AKA Humphrey Bogart. Well, remember the words, I'm shocked, shocked that this is going on. Well, when I look at this CNN headline, how EVs became such a massive disappointment? I'm shocked, shocked that this is happening. Who wants to buy a car unless you're gonna putter around your house and it's like a glorified golf cart. I should say your neighborhood rather than the house. Who wants to buy that? Its battery is so heavy that it immediately puts excess pressure on the front of the car and your braking system. That's the first thing. Second thing, where are all the parts coming from? How are we making all these batteries? Just how are you going to put up with having to take 40 minutes to charge your car? What happens if you happen to live where it's cold? And believe it or not, despite global warming, much of the world is cold in their winter season. So I'm shocked, shocked that CNN has found out about all this. If you go to Climate Depot, you can read about it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Mark Morano is unleashed, and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT. All right, we're continuing our discussion with Dr. Bader Cohen, Senior Analyst for Committee for Constructive Tomorrow, CFAC, CFAC.org. Bader, I wanted to play you a clip. This is Vanessa Carey, the daughter of John Carey. It's a very short clip. I think it's only like 14 seconds. Bad gene pool. Yeah, bad. (laughs) It's exactly. (laughs) Well, here she is. She's got a new plum position at the World Health Organization. She's now their climate health envoy, where she's basically saying climate has become, climate change is creating a health crisis that basically needs public health response. But take a listen to what she says. Let's play clip eight, Vanessa Carey. We must accept that there is no other way forward than to phase out our reliance on fossil fuels. Simply mitigation and reduction of greenhouse gas emissions is no longer a choice. Okay, my question to you, Bonner, is must we accept that and is allowing fossil fuels we have to ban them no longer a choice that we have no choice she's basically saying we have no say we have no freedom there's no debate we have no choice and it must be phased out your response that's right you see these people make our choices for us uh (laughs) vanessa carey has just said 
uh, based on probably something her father, who knows nothing about the subject whatsoever, passed on to her that uh, it is time to quit this nonsense about just reducing greenhouse gases. We must reduce fossil fuels, not just reduce them, but eliminate them altogether. And she did this making an argument about this is the way to protect public health. Well, of course, the exact opposite is the truth. If you do away with fossil fuels, the way people like Vanessa Carey and others want to do, and if you condemn uh, billions of people on Earth to being dependent upon their energy for intermittent wind and intermittent solar, uh, cow dung and whatever else comes along, uh, you are going to be spreading disease like you have never seen before. There are There is a fascinating graph that I once saw on a website showing uh, the advent of fossil fuels beginning uh, with coal uh, in, in a major way, middle of the 19th century, going up to the present, later augmented by oil and natural gas and human life expectancy. And guess what? They grew in tandem. The more fossil fuels we used, the longer lives we had. For those who argue uh, that there is a public health argument to be made for abandoning fossil fuels in Tojo and replacing them with, well, what? Uh, what they're really doing, as I pointed out earlier, is they're simply condemning people to lives of unmitigated misery while at the same time allowing themselves to make life-determining choices uh, for us. They're the ones who do this. We don't. Uh, you can see this in everything from mandates concerning uh, dishwashers, washing machines, uh, gas ovens, uh, to electric vehicles, and what have you. These are choices that, an, uh, that a self-anointed elite makes and that wishes and the choices that the rest of us would like to make matter to these people not one bit. Wow. And so what do you make of that whole argument? And she tries to make it that essentially they want to roll climate change into the public health sphere. You have 200 medical oh, yes. journals. Absolutely. They went 200 medical journals led by the British Medical Journal and right before Dubai UN summit uh, said that climate should be considered a public health emergency. And Joe Biden, of course, wants to declare a climate emergency, but it's a public health threat. So if you don't support net zero, you're a grandma killer. What do you react? How do you react to that? Now, one of the things the left has succeeded in doing, uh, following in the footsteps of uh, uh, Italian or communist uh, Antonio Gramsci, uh, about 1886 to 1937, uh, is that they have infiltrated and transformed one institution after the other. And among the institutions they have very successfully infiltrated and transformed are medical journals. And those medical journals now, at one time we could rely on them uh, for publishing the latest research on this disease, uh, this pandemic, and they, uh, the information there was reliable. Sadly, that is no longer the case. Uh, these people, uh, these journals, many of them, have been captured by the left. And if you, if you think that what you read there, and in many cases, is accurate, 
founded on sound science, particularly with respect to climate change, you are fooling yourself uh, because the people who make decisions as to what goes into those medical journals, as well as other scientific journals, are not driven by uh, an allegiance to sound science, peer-reviewed science, but rather uh, are driven by ideological concerns. Uh, that being the case, uh, I'm afraid we have to look at everything from the World Health Organization uh, to uh, our many of our uh, public health bureaucracies here in the United States and elsewhere. The minute you hear these people talking about the climate crisis, bingo, a light should go off. Uh, they're saying that for purely ideological reasons. In most cases, they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about because they have no background in what drives uh, the Earth's planet and has been driving it in, in various in varying degrees uh, for the last four and a half billion years. But rather, uh, they have joined uh, almost like lemmings going going off off a cliff. Uh, the uh, the stampede. Uh, to uh, try to impose that ideology on the rest of us. The sad thing about it is, uh, if things keep going the way they are, it won't be they who will be going off the cliff, but it will be the rest of us. Because they're fair. <laughs> Remember, these people are largely protected from the consequences of their own uh, policies. That's what separates the global elite from the rest of us. They don't care about our daily concerns. They care only about the virtue signaling that we just saw the daughter of John Kerry engage in, believe me, she's not alone. There are plenty more of them. These people love to think well of themselves, and, and they do, in fact, think very well of themselves. And they're absolutely convinced that what they're trying to impose on the rest of us corresponds with the truth. The consequences of those policies on ordinary people are a matter of complete indifference to them. All right. Well, here we are now. It's the year 2024. We're seeing resistance finally to yeah. these regulations. In Europe, you have the tractor rebellion, the farmer rebellion against net zero began. Oh, obviously, I'd say it began in Sri Lanka when they collapsed the entire food supply and the peasants overran the palace. But you had the Netherlands, the farmers fought back and they formed their own political party. And now you have protests in Poland, Spain, Sweden, uh, France, and uh, mm. the, the headquarters of the EU in Brussels. You have farmers spraying right. manure, tractors there. What's going on? Do you feel it as a longtime analyst of this whole green agenda? Is there finally, finally the pushback coming? And you think it's coming uh, now? The yes, there is. Uh, it's a false start. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes, there is. And there's a wonderful term that's been uh, uh, come up, that's been created to cover this. It's called green lash. Uh, it's a variation on backlash. Uh, yeah. It's a resistance to green policies, resistance to green policies on the people who find themselves on the receiving end of environmental policies uh, said to be uh, imposed uh, for the sake of uh, combating climate change. And they find out that these policies jeopardize their way of life, their ability to feed uh, the people around them, and you are seeing, you know, Europe has had hundreds of years of peasant rebellions. There's nothing new about this. But who would have thought that in the 21st century, 
long after feudalism has, has disappeared, we are now seeing a kind of peasant rebellion, a 21st century version of that. They're not rising up against feudal uh, powers, but they are rising up against their own governments. And by the way, many of those governments are beginning to back down. Yeah, the EU, specifically on agriculture. All right, well, thank you so much. We're out of time. Bonner Cohen, Senior Analyst for CFACT, Committee for Constructive Tomorrow, Unleashed with Mark Morano. See you next time. Thank you.